Welcome to another episode of You, Me and the Nostalgic Football Podcast from Football Whispers, which each week reminisces about an icon of the 90s. My name is Tom Bedell and today I'm joined by a former colleague and friend, freelance journalist Adam Newson, who has written for The Mirror, Sky Sports and ESPN, among others. And we are here to discuss Gianfranco Zola. Adam, how are you? Good, thank you, Tom. Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, mate. Um, in 2020, we think nothing of the Premier League being home to some of the best foreign talent available, but this wasn't always the case. Gianfranco Zola was one of the first non-Brits to truly star in what was the Premiership at that time. And he was, in a lot of ways, a trailblazer for those who have followed him to make their living over here. We'll make no secret of the fact you're a Chelsea fan, Adam. So how do you sum up Gianfranco Zola to begin with? I think you have to, firstly, you know, call him a gentleman, which is perhaps not what you could describe hundreds of footballers as, footballers as but um, I think Jamf, that's one of the first things that obviously comes to mind and the second one was you know he was a very very special player and perhaps a trailblazer as you mentioned in English football he has helped revolutionise the game uh, in this country especially um, but yeah I'll say my, the first thing that comes to mind is, is a gentleman which you know is arguably perhaps more important than than what you even do on the pitch you're a good person yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head there sadly for uh, other footballers he is uh, rather unique and if not unique then quite a rare kind of player kind of person in that respect Um, we're not going to talk too much about his time in Italy because to be honest he played in Serie A at the very beginning of the 90s for Napoli and although it's worth it's worth mentioning he was very much the understudy to the great Diego Maradona at Napoli and scored a couple of goals as they won the Serie A title in 1990 and it was remarkably the only title of his career. Uh, and when Maradona left Napoli a couple of years later, he said, Napoli doesn't need to look for anyone to replace me. The team already has Zola. However, it was probably at Parma that he first entered our consciousness in this country. Uh, he joined them in 1993 for what is... 13 million euros in today's money. Napoli was struggling financially when they sold him and it was a great Parma team that he joined. Just just sort of give us a bit of context about that Parma side at the time. There's some real household names uh, that Zola played alongside. So yeah, I think let's first mention obviously that, that Zola didn't uh, didn't compete in a, in a top flight league until the age of 23 years old, which I think in the modern day is unthinkable given his talent. But yeah, that, that Parma team was a special one. They always had, you know, people in Zaghi, uh, Fabio Cannavaro, Aspria, Histo uh, Stoichkov later on, Gigi Buffon, and Alessandro Nesta, of course. And, you know, they, they, they had success, and Zola was a key part of that. Um, but, you know, not not to just breeze over that, but it was it's perhaps ironic that, that the man that eventually led to Zola coming to Chelsea was uh, Carlo Ancelotti when he took over and. You know, he he wanted to play four four two. He was very very strict to that, and there wasn't really a natural place for Zola in in that Parma side under Ancelotti, which is why uh, eventually you know the decision was made that he could he could leave for Chelsea. But um, you know, his influence on that Parma side was important. He was the top scorer in uh, the ninety five ninety six season, um, and you know he did help the club to success. So. He may not have won a title in the sense of another uh, another Scudetto, but he did 
have a have an influence on a on a very good Palmer side. Talk to us about Zola the player then in that those early years and and what it was that made him stand out from the rest. I think if you've as you you mentioned if you've got the acclaim uh, of of Diego Maradona, it's fairly self explanatory that you're, you're going to be a good player. Um, I think what what stood out and what stood out throughout Zola's career was just the imagination of his game. Um, coupled with the the excellent technique he had there's very few players who you know he was five foot five foot six uh and pretty wiry but you know he had such balance such poise on the ball that he could evade uh tight defenders he could and he was very intelligent obviously he could find space on a pitch where there didn't appear to be any um and you know then of course there were the free kicks um which he would you know, spent hours and hours practicing. Practice with Maradona all the time, um, and it's something that he kept on, uh, uh, kept on doing until the end of his career. He never, he never sort of rested. He never just sat back. He, he always stayed after training to practice the free kicks. So, I think, in the modern day game, a player of Zola's ability would perhaps be appreciated even more than he he was back then, and even perhaps yeah. he is now. Um, Personally, I think in in the era of social media, if you have a player like Gianfranco Zola who is producing these moments of of little you know little flicks here, little moments of genius there, and also produce and also you know scoring great goals in the era of social media where you know the slightest little flick can, can go viral. I think someone like Gianfranco Zola would be a lot more appreciated than he perhaps is. Yeah, I think that's a very good point actually when we're discussing players of this uh, of this era. You mentioned the free kicks there. It is one of the real joys of watching him, some of the goals he scored, but particularly some of the free kicks he scored. Um, these days, we talk about people like Ronaldo and we talk about great free kick takers. And there's, I don't know if it's just me, there's not a lot of joy in watching him wallop a ball in a way that it just sort of moves weird. When I think free kicks, I think beautiful curling free kicks. And I think of someone like Zola. Was he underrated as a free kick taker? And historically, perhaps... And, and at the time I'm not sure if he was underrated um, especially by the time he sort of was a couple especially by the time he was a couple of seasons in at Chelsea people were very aware of his prowess um, I was just saying you know you, you, you look back and you think just the sheer volume of free kicks and a different style of free kicks as well he you know he could put it over the wall uh, and into the corner but he also was able to bend it towards the keeper's corner and put it in a in the, you know top corner and um i just think you know he, i don't i wouldn't say he was underrated i think people appreciated what he could do um but as i said you know it's all down to his hard work um and dedication to to, to making himself uh, as good a free kick taker as he could be just finally then whilst we're touching on his, his time in Serie A, i wanted to mention this by 1997, he won all of his 35 Italy caps. Was he underused and maybe underrated at home in Italy at the time? You know, they had a lot of great attackers and forwards, but perhaps didn't fit into their conventional shape at that at, in in that kind of era when uh, you know four four two or you know very little variation from that kind of reigned supreme um i think he perhaps was slightly underappreciated um i guess the the flip side is that he was playing in an era where there were also very good uh, other 
sort of number 10 playmakers uh, you know Roberto Baggio or Alessandro Del Piero was obviously around as well so it wasn't an easy side to get into if you're Gianfranco Zola and it's and especially in that position where you've got a lot of you know excellent competitions so you know he 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 played in Italy for a World Cup it didn't it didn't end well he 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 played uh, at European Championships and it didn't end well um but I think and I'm not Italian so I can't I can't speak for for Italy but uh, I think you know his his legacy is is still remembered and again that may be because of the person he is just as much as the player. Well, in the next session, we'll be addressing Zola's time at Chelsea and how he came to move to the Premier League, but we'll be back after a very short break. Welcome back. We're discussing Gianfranco Zola with Adam Newson, freelance football journalist. And after talking about his time in Italy and his time with the Italian national team, we're on to the real meat of this discussion, his time at Chelsea in the Premier League, where he did the very best of his work, I think it's fair to say. Chelsea in November 96 versus Chelsea when Zola came to leave the club in 2003, summer 2003, two very different beasts. Can you just outline, Adam, some of the key differences between the club then in the 90s that Zola found and the club that he left um, seven years later? Yeah, uh, the Chelsea that Zola joined was at the very start of uh, of a revolution, really. Rude Hullet had taken charge of the club um, the summer of 96 and uh, had helped bring along uh, players from Syria, uh, Roberto Di Matteo and Gianluca Vialli. Uh, there was already Dan Petrescu at the club and obviously Hullet himself. Um, and this was the sort of start of the sort of foreign influx in the Premier League uh, and especially at Chelsea. Um, and Zola was sort of uh, was perhaps the. I don't think he was seen at the time as the missing link for Chelsea at the point, but he perhaps turned out to be that in the sense of he he was obviously te- as we've discussed he was an, an excellent footballer, but he also helped uh, a lot of the young players at the club who were coming uh, who were coming through who joined. Um, and he helped establish Chelsea once again. You know, the, 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 with him at the club, they won the FA Cup. They won uh, the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, they were back in the Champions League. And I think, you know, whilst there wasn't league titles or, or even like you know great Champions League success, it all helped build Chelsea's reputation as a club that could attract good players, had a, a sort of a sexy football um, tag for a while. Um, and you know the culmination of that eventually led to the summer of 2003 which is Chelsea qualifying for the Champions League and ultimately Roman Abramovich buying the club Um, that is of course not just down to Zola um, but his role in the sort of evolution of of Chelsea from what they were at the start of the Premier League era to what they then became he was uh, instrumental in that yeah, instrumental is the word, I think. Uh, and obviously, as we well know, 2003 was a integral summer for the club and the club that it, that Chelsea has become since. How much did we know of him in this country, bearing in mind, as you alluded to earlier, that social media has come in since, the rise of 24-hour rolling news channels and so on and so forth. He'd obviously played against England as part of that Italy team in, in qualifying for World Cup 98, but... 
we didn't have the access to you know foreign leagues that we do now. So was he very much an unknown quantity, or, or were we aware of what we were getting or what Chelsea were getting when they signed him in November '96? I imagine people were aware, um, if not having seen him live or on TV, but by reputation at least uh, of what he could do. Um, but I would imagine, you know, the main occasions that English football fans would have would have seen Gianfranco Zola playing was was at World Cups or European Championships, and like like we mentioned earlier, you know, his 1994 World Cup with Italy ended with a red card against Nigeria, um, and then his Euro 1996 efforts with Italy saw him miss a penalty in a game against Germany. So, you know, the, the, there's a there's a possibility that the English sort of football, wider football community didn't have the greatest idea of what Gianfranco Zola was or who he was apart from knowing that oh he was that guy who got sent off at Italy for, for Italy at the World Cup um, obviously he very 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 quickly changed uh, any perception people had or, or solidified the, the perception they did have if it was you know oh he's a great player he is small he's he's small he's quick he's intelligent um you know if if that was your belief then it was very quickly cemented that that was correct by the end of his first season he's won the FA Cup bit helping Chelsea beat Middlesbrough 2-0 in the final and scoring four times en route to Wembley he was named football writers association player of the year despite signing in November the first player to win it without playing a full season for that club and only, well, there you go. Uh, what an impact he had on Chelsea at the time. Sir Alex Ferguson described him as a clever little so-and-so after a particularly memorable goal against his United side and Peter Schmeichel. How different was he to what we'd seen in the Premier League at that time? And, you know, the Premier League was only kind of four years old at that point, wasn't it? So it was a very different product to what it is now. It rewinds to 1996 and, and English football perhaps wasn't as uh, nuanced as it is now. Um, and... You know, if you're if you're like yourself, Tom, a big lumbering centre half, you probably looked at Gianfranco Zola and you know, five foot six, really baggy shirts, shaggy hair. You probably thought, oh, this this is going to be an easy afternoon's work. But I think you know what what we we came to know of Zola was that he he played as a second striker, often behind someone like a Mark Hughes or or Gianluca Vialli uh, or Tor Andre Flo, and Zola would. You know, he would occupy the space between the lines, which is something that we now are very um, sort of used to seeing. But then it wasn't as as common. And that's what made Zola so difficult for defenders to play against, is that he would drop off. He would drop deep into deep positions to collect the ball. He would would drift out wide. He would pop up where you wouldn't expect him. And that caused centre-halves at that point uh, a lot of difficulty. Of course... He wasn't, you know, there was Dennis Bergkamp, there was Eric Cantona. He wasn't unique at the time in the Premier League, but he did have a uh, a skill set that was very difficult to, to what defenders were used to. And I think one of the sort of enduring mem- uh, memories that Zola gave the Premier League was his um, his humbling of Julian Dix, who I think we would regard as, you know, one of the archetype, old-fashioned British defenders where I think it was his second Chelsea goal where he dribbled past him twice, basically, and then thumped the ball in. Uh, it was a sort of a mark of it was a mark of what was to come, but also a sign of, uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to just bully this this little Italian. He's, 
they'll either make you look very silly if you get too tight, but if you give them space, he'll punish you just as just as uh, harshly. And that's the beauty of a player like Zola, isn't it? That he, he, he really makes defenders think in a way that they weren't used to uh, doing at that point. I think it was either quick strikers who you need to give yourself a bit of space with or big strikers who you needed to get tight to. And he, he was neither... Stylistically then, is there someone playing today then in the Premier League or at Chelsea who you would, maybe Premier League, let's keep it broad, who you would liken to Zola? I haven't put this in the running order, so I'll fill for a second to give you time to think. I'm racking my brain to try and think of someone who plays in a similar role and similar way. Time's up. Have you got anything? I haven't. Because I was going to say David Silva, but he plays much deeper. His stylistically might be quite similar, but he's certainly no one's idea of a second striker. Yeah, and I guess that the the position of second striker is something that isn't as uh, isn't as used in the modern game, especially uh, especially nowadays. You tend to have sort of a more a more defined number ten, or you know you have you have inside forwards. Um, I guess you could look at someone like. And this this isn't probably the most favourable comparison nowadays, but you could probably look at someone like Ameza Erzul and go, yeah. yes, he's got similar characteristics to Zola. He's a wonderfully gifted footballer. He can create something when there doesn't appear anything. Um, he can, you know, he's he, he's got excellent technique. He can score goals. But yeah, I I don't think there there is a player in the Premier League that instantly comes to mind anyway that that has the same sort of rounded skill set as Zola because he he had the instincts of a striker but the the creativity of a number ten. Do you know what the fact that you can't give someone a, off the top of your head and after much thinking that's a like for like is actually quite nice because I think it sums up his uniqueness as a or not uniqueness at the time but looking back over history the fact that he was different and as you say he was probably much closer to a Burkamp or a Cantona than he is to Ozil but that's the kind of closest modern day interpretation we can make for him yeah I just want to make the point you know we were talking the other day separately from this about uh, how you know certain Premier League legends may not have a natural home anymore um, and we were discussing at David Beckham where would he where would he come through now but I think you look at a player like Zola and he's got such a varied skill set it's not there aren't a load of positions that he could potentially occupy at top clubs anymore um, maybe the one you could look at and just going back to what we we're saying the player that does come come to, to mind now is Roberto Firmino you know he he is that sort of hybrid midfielder uh, attacker which you know Zola was um, and perhaps you know in the in the modern game that's where you you'd, you'd use him you'd use him as that false nine um you'd use him as that facilitator someone for for two inside forwards like a, a mane and a Salah. um so you know having said that maybe someone doesn't come to mind there we go roberto firmino is probably the the most uh sort of similar player to zola and probably where zola would probably thrive that's a good shout and i think that you know firmino similar characteristics but different position again it probably speaks to the fact that his position second striker doesn't just doesn't exist anymore does it it's probably become number 10 or false nine or something like that anyway so it's quite hard to draw the comparison in his second season 97-98 it helps Chelsea to a cup treble and this is a much missed thing from the 90s won the league cup the cup winners cup coming on to score the winner 30 seconds after his introduction and the UEFA Super Cup as well. Was this the season then that he was at the the peak of his powers at Stamford Bridge? Do you think? Probably not. I I, I would okay. I 
could argue that I think his final season was was his most influential, and we'll probably get that to, to that later on. Um, yeah. But that that ninety seven ninety eight season, yeah, again, it's, it, it helped establish Chelsea as as a European force again. I think it was only their second. It was only the club's second European title, so uh, it was an important one. And, and the Super Cup win actually came against Real Madrid, um, which you know is a, is a is a big result no matter what era you're playing in. Um, I think one of the great things about uh, that that team, uh, the sort of ninety seven, ninety eight, and then the ninety eight, ninety nine team was it was it was a really good team to watch. It was really exciting, um, really effective as well. They didn't lose a lot of games, um, and you know they did have a push for the title at that point as well. But Zola was was instru- again we used the word instrumental, but he was a key key part part of all that and. You know, he would have been absolutely devastated, I'm sure, to have not played and started the um, the, the Cup Winners' Cup final. But mm. you know how, how you know there's a sign of again of the man. You know, you don't start the biggest game of the season, but you're thrown on with the game at nil nil, and 30 seconds later you've scored an absolutely fantastic goal. Has to be said. I can't actually remember it. I must admit, but I will take your word for it. Basically, for it. he ran on. Uh, there was an interchange of passes in the midfield. I think, from memory, it might have been Dennis Wise who clipped the ball yeah, over the defence, and Zola runs onto it and thumps it into the top corner. It is, it is a great strike. By 1999-2000, Chelsea are in the Champions League for the first time in their history, and although he doesn't play as an automatic starter week in, week out in the Premier League, he's very important in the Champions League as the Blues make it to the quarterfinals. Scores three times in that run, including a lovely free kick against Barcelona. As I allude to there, didn't play as much in domestic games as he did in the Champions League. But why was that at this at this point? He was still very much in his pomp uh, age-wise. Why was why was he being sort of phased out at that point? I think you, th- you look back at, at that season. It was a it was an interesting one for Chelsea. Um, they'd finished third the previous year um, and thus qualifying for the Champions League and. You know, Luca Vialli wanted to try and improve that team, and you know, Chris Sutton was signed, another striker, and uh, midway through the season, and obviously George Ware joined that season on loan from from Milan as well. Um, and Tor Andre Flo had a good season too. Um, so, you know, I personally, I was a, I was a huge fan of Tor Andre Flo. I had him on the back of my Chelsea shirt, which my parents loved because it was three letters, but. Um, yeah, but I think you know you you had options and Viali had options and he was probably trying to keep a lot of different people happy. But it's telling that come Champions League, come the biggest games, you know the European stage, Zola was back in and he did have an impact. That free kick against Barcelona was was an exceptional one. Chelsea should have probably you know they won the first leg three nil, uh, sorry three one. Um, they really should have gone to the Camp Nou and. You know, it is one of those sliding doors moments, I suppose. Uh, that they, they, they ended up losing the, an extra time, five one, and one out, and it was a pretty, pretty tough result to take. But there was a lot of competition that season, um, and perhaps you know Zola at that point was was in his was in his early thirties. He might he would have been thirty two slash thirty three. So perhaps Viali saw it as an opportunity to try and to try and move away, to try something different. But ultimately, you know, you have a player of Zola's quality, then he's gonna. He's gonna he's gonna be used on the biggest stage, um, 
and he's still going to make an impact when he when you do give him a chance. He certainly did. We talked about Zola as a bit of a pioneer and a bit of a trailblazer, but some credit needs to go to Chelsea as well at that time, I think, because as you mentioned there, bringing the likes of Flo and George Weyer, albeit different you know, ends of their career over, they were one of the real early adopters of trying to you know, tap into foreign talent, often ageing, but foreign talent nonetheless, and, you know, players that would have been considered world-class in their pomp, weren't they? Yeah, of course. We, you know, Chelsea in that period also saw Marcel Desailly, Didier Deschamps came for a season. Chelsea were not afraid to, to, to give an opportunity to, like you say, an ageing sort of European star because they felt they could make an impact. You could argue that it was perhaps down to the success of uh, Luca Viali, Rude Hullet, and of course Zola, who who joined Chelsea when he was thirty. He didn't join when he was, you know, late twenties or even mid twenties. He he came as a thirty year old, um, which makes his longevity at Stamford Bridge even more impressive. Impressive, um, but you know, I that that uh, the, that Chelsea team, the the ninety ninety eight ninety nine Chelsea team that finished third, was very cosmopolitan. Was that Chelsea team that finished third in 98-99 was a very cosmopolitan team. I think it may have been that season when they were the first Premier League side to name an all-foreign eleven. Um, I may be wrong on that, but I do believe it was it was that season that they that they started starting eleven with eleven uh, foreign players. So, as you say, Chelsea were were very willing to 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 give an opportunity to, to foreign players and and you know take chances where maybe others weren't. Maybe others felt that you know traditional traditional British players are the way to go, you know, who know the league and all that. But Chelsea weren't afraid to, to take risks, I guess, in the in the transfer market. And it certainly paid off. It certainly did. And you talk about taking risks. I wanted to talk just, it deserves its own section. The, those stri- not strictly, the not, well, not strictly or not factually the 90s, it was scored in 2002. That goal against Norwich City, uh, by now, as you say, well into his 30s, Zola, and, and behind Idika Johnson, Jimmy Floyd, Hasbank in the pecking order, but still capable of the incredible. Does that goal sum up his kind of ingenuity and technical brilliance better than any of his others for Chelsea? And he, and he scored a lot of very good goals, lest we forget. Uh, yeah, I think if, if you want to pick the one goal out that, that would epitomise Zola, that would, be, that would be it. As you mentioned, the invention of it is is startling really to be able to, to compute the ball coming in that low and then to, yeah. to sort your feet out that quickly um the thought of it alone is is spectacular but then to execute it so well um many many players can't catch a volley that sweetly when it's dropping down onto their stronger foot let alone low cross coming at you unexpectedly from a corner um yeah it is it's perfect contact and uh, I read uh, a piece in the Athletic uh, where Rob Green was the goalkeeper that day, and he admitted he turned to his uh, one of the defenders, and I just said, "What the hell was that?" And then looked on the big screen to, look, to see the replay, so he could try and work out what had happened. Fantastic! When you've got the opposition goalkeeper that confused, you know it's a special goal. Yeah, phenomenal. And if you haven't seen it, as Adam says, it's very sort of low, flat delivery into the near post, and this incredible volleyed back heel, but. It's the sort of ball in that most people are just thinking, God, can I just flick this on and keep it alive? What he does next is unbelievable. And if you don't know the goal we're talking about, go and hit that, bang that into YouTube, Gianfranco Zola against Norwich City and prepare to be wowed. By now he's coming to the end of his Chelsea career. Um, but what turns out to be his final season, the 2002-2003 campaign is a very important one for Chelsea as they're 
really up against it in the, the battle to finish in the Champions League and secure the club's future. Despite that, he scores a career best for Chelsea, 16 in all comps, and is the club's player of the year. How good was he in this final season? Was this then for you, based on what you said earlier, his best year at Stamford Bridge, do you think? Yeah, for me personally, that would be the the season that sort of stands out the most. Perhaps that's because it's one I can remember um, more clearly than others because I was growing up. Um but he was 36 during that campaign and, you know, to, to produce your most uh, prolific season um, as a as a player at that age uh, for Chelsea is, is an achievement in itself. Um, there were a lot of important goals in that season and, you know, there's no doubt that Zola's influence helped Chelsea qualify for, for the Champions League and... You know that that can't be understated how important that was in the, in the club's history. Everyone knows why, but you know without Zola's goals that season, without his performances, um, Chelsea may not be what they are now. Uh, yeah. the, the, the you know he, the sad part was perhaps in in those final games where Claudio Ranieri didn't play him as much as he perhaps could have. Um, he obviously made his last appearance at Chelsea from the bench. Uh, against Liverpool, but he still did produce one of those uh, one of those moments of magic, magic. one of those yeah. social media viral social media clips that would happen now, uh, where he uh, humbled Jamie Carragher, shall we say? Uh, <laughs> but I think that season just does stand out. There were there was there were several really impressive goals. Um, one that comes to mind that many people may not know was a chip against Shrewsbury in the FA Cup. Uh, it was nothing. It was one of those nothing games, um, but he just gets it on the edge of the area and he just dinks it over the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper gets a slight touch on it, but just only manages to carry it in. And, but on this video, if you can find it, there's uh, there's a, an audible gasp from the Shrewsbury fans. Uh, and then there's a, a polite applause as if, as if they're at the theatre and they've just seen something spectacular. Just a ripple of applause, which I think... You know, is is again? It sums up what Zola could do. He could make even the most ardent of opposition fan uh, feel something uh, that they perhaps wouldn't have felt was he not were, were he not there. I think he made a lot of Chelsea fans feel a lot of things over those seven years. In a minute, we'll be back to discuss his legacy at Chelsea and look to his post-playing career. But first, we'll just take a very short break. Welcome back. We're discussing Gianfranco Zola still with Adam Newson, freelance sports journalist and former Football Whispers editor. We've reached the point where Gianfranco and Chelsea part ways. He returns to Cagliari of Serie B at this point in his native Sardinia in the summer of 2003. Although uh, rumour has it, legend has it, I suppose, that he actually turned down Roman Abramovich's offer to remain at the club and Abramovich went as far as trying to buy Cagliari to rescind his contract and send him back to Stamford Bridge. But Zola being a man of his word, he he returned to his boyhood club and, and helped win promotion with them. How important is that kind of likability in and you know the man that he is in in his legacy at Chelsea uh, I think uh, you know that there wouldn't have been a Chelsea fan who didn't want Zola to stay on and it was you know an unfortunate quirk of circumstance that I think he may have given Cagliari his word that he was going to go back maybe a week or so before Abramovich had bought the club so you know it's had 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 he not done that or had it had it happened a bit quicker that Abramovich bought the club then who knows what would have happened 
Um, of course, given the recruitment drive Chelsea went on that summer, it, it wouldn't be unfeasible to think that Zola may not have actually had a place in the team at that regularly, yeah, even right. if he had stayed. Um, but, the, you know, the fact that he turned down a, a big contract to Chelsea because he'd already given his word to Calgary because he, he wanted to go back to Sardinia, as, you, as we said at the very start, that's that's the mark of a gentleman who didn't want to break his word. Um, and he went back to Calgary and he, he had success. You know, he got the club promoted from Serie B to, to Serie A and he stayed another season to make sure that they, they didn't get relegated. Um, again, you know, they're not achievements that will, will go down in a sort of Hall of Fame style, you know, list of this is what I've won and this is, you know, what I've done. But to have that, that mark on your club... Um, your your sort of hometown club is one that will, will not be forgotten. Um, so I think you know it's, it's. I'm not sure if Roman Abramovich did try and buy the club. Uh, I didn't. I think it might be one of those urban legends. But you know, it, it's a mark of how much uh, of how high esteem that Chelsea fans uh, held Zeller in and still do. That, that that's you know the lengths that Abramovich willing to go for a 37 year old. That's it. Uh, the esteem that Chelsea fans held him in summed up in this, really. He was voted the club's best ever player in early 2003. He was a two-time Chelsea Player of the Year, English Football Hall of Fame inductee, including Chelsea's centenary 11 in 2005. And nobody has worn the number 25 shirt at Stamford Bridge since, although the number isn't officially retired. Um, how enduring is he as a, a Chelsea legend and where does he sit in the kind of pantheon of, of modern greats, the Drogbas and the Lampards and the John Terrys of this world? The, the kind of players, I suppose, that his contribution enabled, you know, to have the success that they did at Chelsea in the, the following years. Uh, I think his legacy uh, sort of endures to this day and his his impact on the club uh, is still felt. Um I say that as as someone who who views what Zola did uh, as very special, and and you have to look at some of the players he influenced during his time at Stamford Bridge, where you do look at John Terry, obviously spoken about uh, in glowing terms about Zola, and and one player that Zola really took under his wing was Frank Lampard. Um, mm. uh, you know, I think Lampard has spoken a lot about Zola, and he said, you know, how his his dedication to, to taking free hicks and to staying after training was something that he always uh, wanted to, to, to do and something he did do because of Zola um, but I just, there's a quote from Lampard which uh, which I'll read which says I watched how he played how he was a gentleman off the pitch I thought that's how I'd like to be and I think if you're a Chelsea fan now and you look at what Frank Lampard became and what he still is uh, you can argue that Zola's played a part in that so even though he left uh, 17 years ago with Lampard now the manager you can you can make an argument that the values that Zola had are still being uh, still being uh, influential on Chelsea now but through Frank Lampard in terms of where he sits on uh, in the list of greats I mean it's a hard one person this is a personal thing obviously Chelsea every Chelsea fan will have a different list I'm sure but for me I would probably shade Drogba and uh, Lampard and Terry just in pure achievement of what they what they the success they had above Zola but you know again you know there's only one trophies and Zola did things that people will still be talking about in 15 20 years so 
you know, for me, he's he's definitely one of the, the greatest Chelsea players ever. There's also something a bit more romantic about a player who was brilliant during a fairly, or not fairly poor, because it was actually quite a good era for Chelsea, but a less impressive era, I think, isn't there? I think as a Watford fan, the players who shone during, you know, amongst a shower of shite will always be more memorable to me than the ones that were here for the relative glory years. Um, finally, then, on this section, he, ca- he came back to the club in 2018-19 to assist Maurizio Sarri as his number two. Did that help legitimise his reign a little bit and provide a link to the supporters? And what did it mean to be able to, you know, have him back at, at Stamford Bridge again after all those years? Well, I think it was it was helpful to to Sarri to have to have Zola, not just because uh, Zola, uh, Zola is obviously a very personable personable guy who, who's got good relationships with people, but you know he he did have that link to the club. Um, Sarri, as we know, was perhaps not the most uh, diplomatic coach, not the most uh, personable coach to have a number two like Zola, as I'm sure invaluable because Zola could uh, probably relate to the players and handle players a lot uh, more effectively than Sarri could. Um, so it was lovely. It was not. It was a lovely touch to have him back. Um, it's a shame that he's moved on again. But you know he he's obviously he's his own man as we've discussed, so he would have done so, um, I'm sure, with full conviction in his decision. Uh, whether or not Chelsea did try to keep him, uh, we don't know. There were there were talks that Lampard wanted him to stay on, but again, you know that they were just reported rather than anything of hard facts. So, um, as I say, it was it was it was nice to have him back, and he deserved to, to, to be part of the club once more and you know Chelsea did have some success last season you know he was involved in a Europa League win so in that sense he went away again having helped Chelsea achieve uh, European success. That's quite a nice way to finish his uh, involvement with Chelsea for now. Now we'll be back in a minute to talk about a part of uh, Zola's career that we wouldn't normally have addressed, given this is a 90s football podcast and the the, the aspect that we're going to talk about is his coaching career in the mid-2000s, but there is good reason for that. So stick with us and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back and thanks for sticking with us. We trailered this before the break, but we just want to talk about Zola, the coach, for a little while uh, the reason being, and this is slightly self-indulgent, but both Adam and I were covering Watford uh, for part of his coaching career as Watford manager, Watford head coach uh, between 2012 and 2013. It was a very, well, it was a time of highs and lows, I guess, for, for Watford and for him. Just give us a little bit of that context Adam on on Watford at the time and what Zola walked into. Uh, well, as you know, you know, the summer of twenty twelve was a very big one for Watford. The, the Pozzo family bought the club and and they brought Zola with them. And you know, most managers or head coaches like to have uh, a good pre season. They'll talk about summer recruits, getting people in early, etc., etc. Uh, Zola didn't have that. <laughs> he had uh, an absolute uh, plethora of players dumped upon him, uh, you know, in addition to the squad that was already there. And I think it would have been incredibly easy for, for that whole situation to have gone spectacularly wrong. You had a group of players who had done very well under Sean Dyche the previous season, uh, and then you had a, an absolute influx of lone players from 
Italy and Udinese and, and elsewhere as well, like Jeffrey Mujanji Bia. Uh, and you had Gianfranco Zola have to try, you know, he had to try and put together a team from this sort of mix mismatch of players from the old regime, the new regime, uh, and make it work. And, you know, he deserves so much credit for, for being able to do that and putting together a team that wasn't just able to win matches, but one matches in the style many Watford fans would say that they hadn't seen from a Watford team before. Um, there were some fantastic games, some some beautiful football. Uh, you know, the, the goal that's often cited is the Christian Patocchio one where, you know, it was a, I can't remember, the X amount of passes move where pretty much everyone touched the ball. Um, yeah. And it was just a shame that that season obviously ended up in in playoff final defeat after the the great highs and obviously the the the, the Troy Deeney goal. No, absolutely, it was uh, it was a phenomenal season for so many reasons, and I think Zola deserves a lot more credit than maybe he's ever been given for that. Certainly outside of the kind of Watford fan base, because you know it was a squad of four, sort of forty players plus at that point. They bought. 13 I think on loan from Udinese in Granada who were the sister clubs owned by the Pozzos and Nathaniel Shalabar of Chelsea and now of, of Watford permanently was the 14th loan player I think I'm right in saying I think what probably goes unsaid a lot is the 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 point the part he had to play in legitimizing all of that and making Watford a you know a, a, a respectable club and a destination that people wanted to come to um, obviously, the following season things went awry for him, but we're not going to talk about that because this is a, a happy uh, uh, chat that we're having and, and memories, happy memories only. Now we've talked on and off about Zola's reputation as a nice guy, and it's well earned. What was your experience of dealing with him, of going to pre and post match press conferences on a weekly basis, and getting the very first hand experience of working with him at a time when national newspapers weren't interested so you got pretty unfettered access to someone who was probably a bit of a childhood hero for you and must have been quite strange as uh, uh, in a sense as well yeah it was you know, as you say he was a childhood hero and it was a surreal experience to begin with and you know there's the old adage that you should never meet your heroes but i don't think that applies when it's Gianfranco zola um he was so down to earth so accommodating um and just happy to to give you as much time and and as you needed, which you know isn't the same for for every manager, and you know sometimes it's completely understandable they're under a lot of pressure. But you never felt with Zola that you were he was in a rush to get off and do something else. Um, he made you feel like what you were doing was important. He would always try and make sure you know you got what you needed. Um, so from a personal experience, it was. It was a. Uh, it was amazing being able to, to get get to know him as well as you can, um, doing what we do. Um, and I think one of the sort of last memories I really have of of him uh, as Watford manager was. Uh, I think I went up to to the training ground for an interview. Maybe it was a po- uh, pre-match interview, and when he ended up uh, for whatever reason he ended up talking to me about Chelsea I can't really remember how it came up and I said uh, to him oh, you know I'm a fan and I was a fan and the first game I've actually went to was um, was Chelsea versus Derby where you scored your your only ever hat-trick for Chelsea yeah. uh, to which he pli- he actually said uh, oh well I knew that which is why I did it <laughs> <What a guy. laughs> which you know 
was a complete uh, worthless statement, really, because I know that wasn't the case. But it was lovely for him to say anyway, um, and you know, is is a sign of that is a sign of the man. Um, my other real standout memory comes actually when after he'd left, and I'd managed to get an interview with him at his ice cream shop. Uh, and we sat there yeah we sat there having sort of in south london having an ice cream and having a chat which was uh again another another really another memory that i'll cherish for a long time yeah i think that that's a lovely image actually the two of you sat there eating ice cream together um i was at the time i was actually writing for the club program at the time of his appointment and he was always very friendly and affable at the training ground, but I was mainly interviewing the players at that stage. And then one day we got it in paper, got it in, uh, got it in the diary that we were going to do an interview with him for the program. It was for the playoff semi-final game against Leicester. That game against Leicester, Deeney, everything, uh, and it was a bonus one. And we were going to speak to Zola, and I was given a very strict brief. We had ten minutes, and yeah, I travelled from the northeast where I was living at the time down to speak to him. All day, got there, you know, couldn't have been more charming and polite and everything. And it certainly gave me more than 10 minutes. And it just 10 minutes with him versus, you know, an hour with some people. He was an absolute delight, as you can well imagine. And an absolute gentleman. And really, everything that is said about him as a person is completely accurate. I think with some people, it gets blown out of all proportion. But he really is one of football's nice guys. And a hell of a player to boot as well so I think we'll leave it there thank you for joining us for the latest episode of You, Me and brought to you by Football Whispers if you enjoyed our discussion about Gianfranco Zola make sure you check out previous episodes where we go in-depth on the original Ronaldo and Zinedine Zidane Adam, thank you for your time we can follow you on Twitter at Adam Newson 27 is that right? Uh, at Adam Newson and you call yourself a friend oh, unbelievable uh, more importantly than following him, make sure you subscribe to the podcast via SoundCloud or Spotify. And do tell your friends if you've enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week to dissect another 90s icon. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.